Hello, welcome to the UW Film Club podcast. My name is Drew Favors, the new host, and I am joined here today by Zoe Williams. Say hi. Hi, everyone. Um, today, we're going to be talking about Rocky Horror Picture Show. Yes, to everyone's chagrin, I will be going off the rails talking about Rocky Horror <laughs> for one hour straight. It's kind of the only way to talk about it. It's like a very stream of consciousness movie. I and think. that's exactly what this is going to be. Exactly, exactly. So, you wanted to talk about some Easter eggs, I think, initially. Or, I guess I could give like a sort of a plot synopsis of what Rocky Horror actually is. As good as I can give yes. it. Yes. Okay. okay, so for background, Drew has seen it one time. Mm-hmm. So he's going to give you a comprehensive uh, plot, like the little roller coaster you used to have to make in sixth grade. Mm-hmm. I'm excited to hear it. Go, Drew. Okay. The story is about this young couple, Brad and Janet, um, as they actually leave a wedding and then get engaged at the same chapel that the wedding took place at. And as they're sort of doing their car ride away, a thunderstorm breaks out for some reason, um, which is kind of one of the early jokes in the movie. But mm-hmm. uh, they end up wanting to call for help they go to a castle in the countryside and that's where they actually meet dr frankenfurter um who is a transvestite scientist these are the terms that were used to describe him early early in the 1970s and there's apparently a transylvanian convention going on and it is here where we meet another one of the characters in the movie called rocky rocky horror Mm -hmm. Um, and he is the creation of dr frankenfurter and so while this is going on, there's like this weird narrator who's also trying to narrate the story of Brad and Janet at Dr. Frankenfurter's castle. And we also find out later in the film, as time goes on, that all these people for the convention, including Dr. F- Dr. Frankenfurter, are actually from the planet Transsexual in the Galaxy of Transylvania. Um, and while this is going on, there's another whole plot line with Cousin Eddie, who's a cousin of a rival scientist to Dr. Frankenfurter. Oh, sorry. He, he is the nephew to the rival scientist. Right. And <laughs> basically uh, what happens is Eddie was locked in the deep freeze and held by Dr. Frankenfurter and eventually killed. And so it's a crazy movie and it basically finishes with Brad and Janet sort of like these two very straight-laced people as a couple sort of getting out of their comfort zone and getting into like this weird dynamic with all the trans uh, Transylvanians. And by the end, there is a hostile takeover <laughs> of Dr. Frankenfurter's castle by two Mutiny. of the Transylvanian residents. And they eventually fly the castle back to the planet transsexual in the galaxy Transylvania. And that is when the movie ends along with the narrator. It is a movie musical comedy, pays homage to like early 40s B-tier science fiction movies. It's great. It is such a beautiful clusterfuck of camp. Right. It's like, if you had to look in the dictionary of what camp is, it is Rocky Horror. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's like one of the main appeals, especially from the ninth. it was like 1975 when it came out. Yeah. This is a very, very early film for like this sort of level of campiness, like to use that term again, to like be into the, not mainstream, but um, in sort of like the cult mainstream, I would say, because Mm -hmm. this is one of, this is the first and most famous cult classic film. Yeah, and it definitely, I think the campiness of it is what made it so lovable with kind of like, kind of like the weirdos of society, so to say, you know, like it wasn't Grease, which came out, you know, two years later, it wasn't kind of 
like you said, like straight lace. Mm -hmm. It was just kind of, it was what it was and it was fun and it was quirky and it just like totally turned into a cult classic because it was, it didn't play by societal scripts, Mm -hmm. society scripts, I would say. No, absolutely. I mean, it started out like as a play, just like the Rocky Horror Show and then the actual director, uh, I think Richard O'Brien, um, who wrote Rocky Horror Show, decided to adapt it into a movie. And so this is one of Tim Curry's earliest roles. He plays Dr. Frankenfurter. He, he does so, an he, amazing oh job. No one could have done it like him. Absolutely no one. Mm-hmm. Everyone thinks to this day it's still one of like his greatest performances by far. And he did Pennywise, and he was pretty good in It. He did two Pennywise in It. That's right. Oh, my gosh. I, that's crazy. But, <laughs> I mean, with Rocky Horror Picture Show, it, like, flopped when it came out. It didn't last, like, a week. It got pulled. And so like the first it was it did terrible. It did really yeah. bad. And then Richard O'Brien really wanted to keep it going. And so he's like, he and someone else um with the producers collaborated to be like, well, maybe it'll do well at the midnight cinema crowd. Um and then from there that's where it exploded because it launched onto the midnight cinema scene and it was an instant hit with the with the crowd. Cause from there, he had the development of shadow casts, like people like mimicking the actual movie while it's going on, various sort of tropes uh, and like gags that went on with the movie over time. But we can even talk about that later. I just wanted to like sort of give a brief introduction as to like this movie is wacky, it's fun, it's weird, and it was kind of born out of getting rejected, mm-hmm. and like that sort of is how it became so popular today. In fact, it's. Uh, inducted into the Library of Congress for like being culturally significant. Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah, that's so cool. I mean, it's still the longest running like movie production in history. So yeah, I mean, how many? Oh god, how many years has it been? It's, so it's I'm not majoring in math. No, it's we know this. <laughs> uh, no, it's been almost fifty. Almost fifty. Forty-seven. Years. And it's still going on, like, super strong. It's yeah. amazing. Um, but sorry, I want I do want to get back because you've seen this film four times, right? No, it's been like 11. Okay, see, yeah, yeah I'm also not good at math, but <laughs> you wanted to say some things that you just noticed in general throughout the film. Yeah, like, it was kind of, like, laced with Easter eggs, which was really, really cool. Some were, like, spoon-fed to you, mm-hmm. but others were kind of more subtle. So one of the ones that was, like, spoon-fed was um, in the beginning scene outside of the church when the bridal party is like, taking photos, you can see... Frankenfurter, Magenta, and Riff Raff standing in the background dressed as, like, groundskeepers for the church. And it's it's kind of subtle, except you see, like, Tim Curry's head, like, above everyone else. Mm-hmm. And it's really cool because it's, like, I don't know, it's almost like an introduction and foreshadowing as to what's going to happen. Yeah, and it's kind of yeah. like, like, ooh, they don't know. You've seen that meme that's like, they don't yeah it's like they don't know we're aliens (laughs) but it's really cool and then i i noticed that first and then in the next scene when it cuts to the criminologist you can see in like a projection in the background he's like circled their faces so i was kind of like oh kind of it almost would have been cooler if they didn't point it out Mm -hmm. but it's more it's just it was just like a fun little easter egg and then I'm blanking on everything else because I'm nervous about this podcast. But no, no, it's all good. <laughs> but, yeah, and it's just, I don't know, it's just, like, so fun to watch. But let's dissect characters. I okay. want to get into this because I feel like I have some controversial opinions. 
Um, and I'd like to share them uh, with you. Okay. So number one, I don't really like Janet. We talked about this the other day. That's right. Yeah. And I think, okay, Susan Sarandon did an amazing job. She right. had like pneumonia during like three quarters of the filming or something because they were filming in like a dingy castle and she like got pneumonia. Yeah, that. that's right. They were filming in like the UK the entire time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So for having pneumonia, she pulled it out 100%. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. It was just the scene where Janet is like, where's Brad? Where's anybody? I'm like, stop. Stop whining. <laughs> just for one second, baby. Just take a step back. Collect. Move on. You know what I mean? But yeah. also, I mean, it's understandable. She's in like a completely new place, literally surrounded by aliens. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she just got engaged and then had an affair immediately. So, I mean, I mean, I get why she's crying, but I was just like, you're yeah, I mean, I disagree. I like Fair. Janet's character. And I think one of the reasons is that the whole movie is making fun of the old science fiction movie, like, stereotypes of, like, the either the scientists or, again, like, this... Like the damsel in distress, kind of? Like, the white suburban couple, right. like, like, playing into these very, like, gendered stereotypes of, like, Brad Majors is supposed <laughs> to be, like, the strong sort of husband or fiancé to uh, Susan Sarandon's character, Janet. Um, and then Janet's supposed to be sort of this helpless character, you know? Like, she's supposed to be, like, confused all the time. And, like, when it's raining, she holds a newspaper that's completely wet over her oh head God, for, yeah. like, ten minutes. And it does nothing, obviously, and I think we're supposed to kind of get that, like, you're not helping anyone by doing that yourself, so. I didn't pick that up. That was, that was a good point you just made. I mean, it's just, it's, it's, it's really funny how, like, they play into every single trope, and that's why it's enjoyable to watch, because I do, like, on screen, whenever they, like, ham up the acting just for a bit, and so with Susan Sarandon, I mean, obviously she's iconic, but also there's that scene where, you mentioned the affair. Mm -hmm. I think that's a great scene, because, both Brad and Janet, like, when they encounter Dr. Frankenfurter and they, or he enters basically the room, he's disguising himself, but mimics the exact same lines whenever he's trying to seduce Brad and Janet. And they both fall for him. They both and have an they affair. They both say the exact same things right? as well. They have mm-hmm. the exact same responses. They're like, oh, no, what about Janet? And then she's like, oh, no, what about Brad? It's literally, like, word for word the exact same. Yeah. I think that scene is pretty important. It's not long. It's like a three-minute scene, I would say. But it's important just because... How do I say it? It's it's important because this is what, I think, garnered such attraction to the movie in the first place. Because, like, a lot of people... And I'm not going to go all into the themes and stuff because that's, that's not what some people are about. But a lot of it dives into, like, sexual liberation, I would say. Because... Brad is the person who's like, oh, I, I can't do it. Like, I, I, I can't do I'm not I'm not about this life. And eventually he's, like, smoking a cigarette on the edge of the bed, having the best sex of his life. <laughs> and same thing goes with Janet. Like, she's doing great. She's like, I can't do this, and completely gets seduced by Dr. Frankenfurter. And, and he's then like, seduces Rocky. And then seduces Rocky. That's mm-hmm. another thing, which is also pretty cool, because Rocky's having a great time as well. Yeah, there was, like, a complete 180 flip in Janet's character. Mm-hmm. Like, from before Frankenfurter and then after Frankenfurter. Yeah, no, that's... It genuinely is a thing. Like, mm-hmm. his introduction in that scene is what started the transformation process for Brad and Janet. Yeah. 
And then it was like when they entered the house, it was kind of like the point of no return. Right. Yeah. yeah. No, absolutely. And that was really cool. No, I because you can see like the transformation throughout the film. Like it's almost like the audience as well. Like when they're going into it, they're like these people with presupposed notions, and by the end of it, you're like a completely different person. Like you totally view the world in a different way. And I think that's how a lot of people felt when they first saw the movie. Even back in the seventies, mm-hmm. like it, it, it was completely progressive at the time, despite that was not its intentions. Yeah, because it was a night out that they would not, no, that they would remember for a very long time. Yeah, the, the narrator is also an interesting character. I don't know if you wanted to talk about him at all. Let's do it. Okay, Let's talk go about ahead. anything go and ahead. everything. Yes. Okay, so I liked it. I liked the narrator. I didn't at point at times feel like he was like 100% necessary. Mm-hmm. I feel like the story could have maybe flowed a little bit better without him, but I thought it was like a cool ode to like older science fiction movies a little bit too. Right, right. And that's that's one of the reasons why I, I also sort of tolerated his character because mm-hmm. they were just trying to play into the bit so hard. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, like me going into it, I didn't know what was happening. So... <laughs> Like, him coming on the screen and, like, narrating what just happened and what we're about to expect, I was like, I don't know what's going on. This is not helping me. This makes me more confused. Yeah. But It was very ominous. Again, I, I have to always think that if I'm watching something, everything is usually intentional. But mm-hmm. I don't know. I kind of agree with you. The narrator seemed to be an insignificant character, but he was used comedically throughout. Yeah, and I think almost like the... Okay, how can I formulate this thought? It was almost... Like you said, they played into it a mm-hmm. little bit, and I felt like the first introduction of how it was, or like how they told the audience that they were going to play into it was when they had the screen in the background where they circled all the faces, because this is like, oh my god, we're pointing this out to you, this is, we're going to play into this really hard, and I felt like it did that a little bit, like it was like, more, I guess just playing into the bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I agree. I uh, I haven't seen many, like, old science fiction movies. I think one of the older ones I've ever seen was, like, Invasion of the Body Snatchers. And, like, mm-hmm. yeah, there's some there's some things in there. And, like, the, the main character archetypes of, like, the main man and the main woman. Mm-hmm. Uh, they Brad and Janet, I think, did a good job. Even though Brad Majors is probably, like, my least favorite character in the movie. Which, okay. uh, which some people might agree with or disagree with that's totally fine i think it's funny that we have opposing opinions on brad and janet i I liked brad you like brad yeah yeah i don't know i just i maybe it's because i'm a boring straight girl (laughs) no his acting style is very funny because he's like hot tempered especially in the beginning um but he also has this goofy handshake that he does every time he meets a person he's like (laughs) brad majors nice to meet you like (laughs) Like, goes in swinging with his handshake, mm-hmm. and then he's also, like, clutching Janet, like, super close. Like, don't worry, I'll protect you. No, but then, okay, but a funny part of that is, I'll protect you, Janet. Then when Janet gets bitch-slapped by Rocky, or not Rocky, by Frankenberg. Oh, yeah, yeah. And then Brad's like, oh my god, that just happened. And then he's, like, standing in the back, like, pushing, um... Dr. Scott, <laughs> like, aren't you going to help your fiancé, dude? She just got bitch slapped. 
See, I thought about that too. It's 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 weird because he's like protecting Doctor Scott so much more than his fiance. I know. It's like he at this point doesn't even care because I again I think it's like sort of all this act. Like he's not brave. He's not brave at all. Yeah. He's just like sort of pretending to be for Janet, even though Janet's just as brave as Brad. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I think, because a lot happens, this is up in the lab, right? Mm-hmm. So, for, like, those who don't know, the lab is a beautiful set. The set design is fantastic. I have, okay. okay. Going off that real quick. Did you notice how they have stars on the ceiling? Mm-hmm. It's like the Court of Star Chamber in, like, in England in the, what was it, 16th, 17th century? The Court of they, Star Chamber? Oh, my God. I learned this in AP Euro. I'm going to have to pull out the Google machine because I noticed it and I immediately thought Court of Star Chamber. Okay. While, while you're looking that up, I want to quickly talk about the set design yes. of, of um, Dr. Frankenfurter's lab. Because to me, it's, like, extremely pristine. It's, like, almost like a studio layout where there's nothing on the floor. It's like, yeah, like, it's like a sanatorium. Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah, because... Mm-hmm. Um, it's like pink lined tile walls and like a nice like cream colored floor and it like all there's ramps on the side that go up to like a mezzanine where it's almost like overlooking all of Dr. Pinkyfurter's work, which is funny. There's only one thing in his lab and it's the <laughs> machine to build Rocky. But well, okay. <laughs> there's also the bedroom that's in the lab as well. The bedroom where Rocky and Dr. Frankenfurter go to, consummate I guess. Consummate their relationship. Yeah, consummate's a good <laughs> one. That's a good word. Do you have the picture of Yeah, so the Court of Star Chamber, let's do some historical background. Okay. Uh, it was founded by Henry VII of England. Okay. And it was in the Royal of Westminster, and it was used from the late 15th century to the mid-17th century, and it was used by, I'm also directly reading this from Google, I just don't want, this is not coming from my own brain. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It was used of, it was composed of privy counselors and common law judges to supplement the judicial activities of the common law and equity courts in civil and criminal manners matters. Okay, so I'm not good at reading out loud is what we've learned today. It is all good. <laughs> but they had like stars on the ceiling. And it was oh, really, yeah. really cool. And I when I saw Frank's lab, that's immediately what I thought of. And I think because that's English and then this was filmed in mm-hmm. and also with English characters, I think there was like a little bit of a some similarities there. That's really interesting. Yeah. yeah. It's, a, it's a pretty design. I... I it's it's I don't understand the purpose of it. Maybe it's just like to mimic like what it would look like on the outside of the building, um, or maybe it could be an illusion to like how they actually are aliens. Uh, either way, mm-hmm. um, that's pretty cool. I, I didn't notice that. That's that's really cool. Yeah, there's also a beautiful gothic element to the whole thing. Like okay, yeah. When you when you enter the mansion, it's like very toned down, like shadowy walls and like beautiful wood carvings in the wall, but you wanted to say something as well on I that. did. Yeah. <laughs> so um, I think the gothic aura of the the setting is kind of like an ode to Mary Shelley's Frankenstein because that was a gothic novel. Okay, yeah. So that's, when you said that, that's what clicked in my head. Also, um, we should talk about the comparison of the simple life photo with the, you know, the guy with the pitchfork and then the white. Yes, yeah. The simple life of like Brad and Janet that turns into after Frankenfurter like whatever happened after. You right. Know? Absolutely. No, I, I think I think it's a, a good point because the entire film is like 
based on other things. Like it's it's almost um, a parody of like art. Just mm-hmm. it, what what I mean by this is like the simple life painting they brought up. Mm-hmm. Famous portrait, like the really like sad or like some could say not sad, but just like content man and woman farmer mm-hmm. in the photo. Um, so that's more of a piece of like American like uh, art, but basically the whole movie like it's filmed and like the art style is based out of like British cinema and art too. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think what's funny is that there's probably this like equation of American life being like simple and stupid and mm-hmm. like this like British castle with like all these flamboyant characters and ornate like tapestries and like just general like how do I say it picaresque beauty mm-hmm. uh, it's like all British which is funny mm-hmm. I because I, I don't like the Brits we don't, <laughs> we, don't, we don't have to get into that <laughs> and also because Brad and Janet were the only American characters that's true no yeah you're right yeah Honestly. everyone else was British so they're kind of like poking fun at what America was in like the late 50s <gasps> oh my god also when they were in the car and they were listening to the radio they had Nixon's resignation address that was playing in Did the they actually? Yeah. No way. When they were in the car and before the tire blew out, you could hear on the radio Nixon talking and I it was I want to say his address of where he resigned. And that's also kind of playing up like the fuck America. Right. Like, no, honestly, yeah. yeah. Like there's a lot of I guess when you say Easter eggs, there's it's not like Easter eggs, but it's just like very nuanced, very nuanced, very hidden, like uh, not meanings but pieces of mm-hmm. like Americana or just like pop culture influence, just sprinkled throughout. Basically. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it's funny, and it's it's fun to pick up on like all the little things that they've laid down because, like you said, everything was intentional. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, and I mean Richard O'Brien. I think the writer and director he was British, I believe. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not totally sure about that, but so I moving on sort of like just from like this sort of stream of consciousness. I wanted to talk about that scene, the cool scene, the elevator scene. So we can talk about this for a little bit. Okay, what you didn't <laughs> see is because this is a recording. Is I just did the most extravagant hand gestures because <laughs> I could talk about this scene for hours. Oh my god, I think this was the scene. Okay, Richard O'Brien is British. Okay, cool. Good, consulted good, good. the Google machine, and you are correct. Um, it was... So, okay, let me describe the scene. So, this is the first scene that Frank is... We're introduced to Frank's lab. And um, Brad, Janet, Magenta, Columbia, and Riff Raff take the elevator from, like, the beginning room of where the convention is held, and they go up the elevator to his lab and the way this scene was shot was so cool because it slowly pans up in the elevator and like the camera is kind of hidden behind the bars of the elevator and then like the doors slide open and all you see is as you pan up is just like Frank standing there and it's just so cool because he's wearing like this green like surgeon's coat almost with six inch platform heels and he's just like standing there waiting for them. And I, I, I can't describe it and do it justice. You have to see it. But it was that scene that I was like, oh my God, this movie is so fucking cool. Yeah. I don't know. It was just the, so awesome. Yeah, no, the, the makeup, the costuming, and then mm-hmm. also the framing of that shot was amazing because we're introduced to sort of Frankenfurter's 
like you said, the lab, and then like the amazing costume design on Frankenfurter. Iconic. Mm-hmm. Everyone, I every Halloween I see like at least ten Frankenfurters. Who's gonna be Frank this year? You're gonna be Frank. Oh my but gosh. I'm doing something else. I'll talk about it. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Uh, and then, I mean, yeah, the elevator scene, well, okay, it's funny. I haven't seen it in a theater, which I know is a wildly, wildly different experience. Uh, yeah, like, yeah. and when you go in for the first time, they write a V for virgin on your forehead in lipstick, just to make sure, like, okay, you're new here. Because they take theater showings very seriously. It is almost religious to them, hence for the reason it's a cult classic. So, when you go in, apparently they make fun of that scene because there's like this almost 10 second pause where it's just black on the screen getting to the lab. It's in between the bars and actually the floor between the lab and the rest of the castle. And I, my sister told me, cause she's seen it before. She said, someone in the audience, every single time that happens goes, what are we looking at? Helen Keller? <laughs> it is terrible. It is awful, but I think it is it sort of encompasses the raunchy nature of what this film's audience is. Just <laughs> terrible people all gathered together to make fun of a movie that they all love. So I think that scene is iconic for multiple reasons. One of them being, of course, like the shadow cast and the Helen Keller line. But also just because it is one of the most iconic scenes in cinema. I've yeah. seen that scene before. That is how recognizable it is. I've seen that shot. It is beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, honestly, I would say it's even my favorite scene. Either that yeah. or, um, I guess probably the pool scene in the end. Because uh, it's, it's so good. That's my favorite song. Yeah. Rose Tint. So, okay. We can talk about Rose Tint if you want. Let's do it. So there's two, um, soundtracks available on Spotify. Mm-hmm. One soundtrack splits up that, like, whole ending scene into, like, three different songs. And then the other one keeps it as a full eight-minute song. By the way, I could recite that eight-minute song to you right now if you wanted me. No, 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 no. <laughs> Please don't fall. No, no. Don't sing. Um, it's good. I was in choir, but I was terrible. No, it's okay. Um, no. But it keeps... So, depending on which one, it's all under just, like, the category of, like, the ending scene, Rose Tint song. Mm-hmm. But... Oh my god, the scene where they're in the pool and it's just, it like opens up with this like angelic whimsical music as like the clouds part and Frank rises out of the water and says like, ah, it's so cool. It's, I, it like the lines like, is it like if you can dream it, you can be it or something? Don't dream it, be it. Don't dream it, be it. Thank you so much because mm-hmm. those lines, oh my gosh, I... I hear those. I, if I look at a Letterboxd review, I see it probably on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. I mean, that line is so iconic for so many different reasons. Um, I, I just think it was beautiful. Like, Tim Curry mm-hmm. truly acted his ass off mm-hmm. for this movie. And, again, it was one of his first big roles. And it wasn't even a big movie. It was big to some people, but not, like, in Hollywood. So mm-hmm. I think that scene is just fantastic because also some of the practical effects are great there is almost a layer of fog over the pool but they actually remove it in sort of like this disillusion effect where they almost remove the fog and like like make it sink down the middle and break up to show uh frankenfurter in the pool Mm -hmm. so a lot of the practical effects like to this day are beautiful and i i think 
no one would disagree with that statement. Like, it's, there are some cheesy things, obviously. There's, like, the antimatter ray, which is just, like, lines drawn on a screen to, to show yeah. that they're sho- they're shooting a gun. It's yeah. terrible. Oh, God, but it was so good. It was, it so, was good. so good. But it was so good, right? Exactly. And that's all that matters. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and speaking on what you said about the line, don't dream it, be it. Mm-hmm. Um, so Rocky Horror was born from Richard O'Brien. Mm-hmm. He was a playwright in England who was just really bored and wasn't getting booked. He was, didn't have really any jobs lined up, so he just he wrote Rocky Horror. And I think it's really cool to think about how, first of all, how he literally did that. He literally did that. Oh, yeah. That oh, was yeah. so dope. But also because he didn't dream it, he did it. Yeah, he you did. You know, like, mm-hmm. he created this cool classic because he was out of work, and then... It turned into such a big cinematic phenomenon Mm -hmm. that it was just crazy because he didn't dream it and he did it. Like that's it's so cool and respectable. The levels to it of like how it can represent passion, it can represent like your inhibitions Mm -hmm. or just general desires. Or and this is this is something I've heard other people talk about. um, But the influence it has had on like the LGBT community, in particular, has been like monumentous mm-hmm. uh, or monumental I don't think I'm using that right yeah. but it, it's it's just a beautiful scene because like Frankenfurter's in tears at the end because it is a musical and I want to talk about the music in a second as well because that's a key key part of the movie and we also need to talk about the scene of where the audience in the end oh oh yeah I'm yeah, going yeah. home yes I'm going oh my gosh okay. that's probably okay it's either that or time warp but we'll, we'll, we'll yes, get to that in yes, a second yes. um I just think, like, touching on, like, Tim Curry's impact, uh, it, it cannot go unnoticed. And it hasn't. Obviously, it's it's recognized by the federal government as, like, being of cultural significance. Mm-hmm. Um, but I want, yeah, you can talk about I'm, I'm Going Home. Oh, my God. Okay, so this was, like, Tim Curry's, or Frankenfurter's final mm-hmm. ballad in the movie. And it's called I'm Going Home. And it starts off, oh God, what's the, it's like whatever happened to Fay Ray, that delicate satin draped frame, um, uh, how it clung to her thigh, how I started to cry because I wanted to be dressed the same. And it's yeah. such a beautiful line because it just, it shows such a level of vulnerability in Frank that you haven't seen this whole movie. Yeah, exactly. He's seen as this, like, unbreakable feature. He's just so powerful. Like, oh, my God, he's so in tune with himself. He's, like, sexually liberated. This is great. And then all of a sudden, we get this level of vulnerability, how when he was a kid, he was so jealous of the women who could dress femininely. And it's just, it's such a beautiful part in the movie Mm -hmm. because it shows just how much he's grown to get to where he was, I suppose. No, I... Yeah. You you explained it perfectly. I think this movie is for the weirdos. It's for, mm-hmm. like, people who want to have fun. And it's not a movie to truly be taken seriously. Except for, like, this one moment. This is a mm-hmm. moment that I think everyone collectively, like, gets emotional over because of the amount of emotion Tim Curry puts into the character. Mm-hmm. Because there the lighting is beautiful. It's like a spotlight on... Frankenfurter exactly. the entire time as mm-hmm. like he's doing this choreography and singing these like 
really angelic notes. Mm-hmm. And I remember there's one part where like he stands in front of one of the spotlights and all we see is sort of a silhouette but like we can see still the tears running down his face and like even when i was alone watching this movie i was like i was getting emotional Mm -hmm. like it is it's beautiful i was not expecting this because you also touched on a point the entire time i thought frankenfurter was kind of like a jerk yeah like seriously he was like he like slapped janet like and also he did kill cousin eddie (laughs) or sorry nephew eddie in cold blood. In cold blood, which, by the way, was pretty cool. But it was the one time, and I probably think the only time in the movie where we actually, like, felt for his character. Mm-hmm. And that's, Frankenfurter's iconic for, I think, probably that reason. If that movie, if that scene wasn't included in the movie, Frankenfurter probably would not be as iconic. Yeah, because he was just, he was a dick. He was a dick. Like, he used everyone around him. He mm-hmm. disrespected everyone. Like, he was hitting riffraff. Yeah, he was. <laughs> like, abusing him. To be fair, Riff Raff deserved it, because we can get into their the weird relationship Riff Raff had with Magenta. his sister, Magenta. Yeah. That's well, also important. Let's talk about that after. Okay, yeah. But, yeah, because Frank was just, like, such this colossal ass who mm-hmm. was just so into his work mm-hmm. and was just like, I don't care about anybody, like, blah, 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 <laughs> like, fuck you, I'm just going to do my own thing. And all of a sudden... There's, like, again, like, a complete 180 in his character, like we saw in Brad and Janet, where he's just, like, boom, emotional, all of this, like, we just saw, like, a clear window into his heart. Right. And it was so, so well done. And then, ooh, I have a little fact for you. Or, I don't know if this is a fact, but this is something I connected in my little old brain. (laughs) Um, So, in the scene where he's singing, I'm going home, you... The camera, oh God, how do they do it? It like pans to him and then it pans to the audience. And there's this audience, like a bunch of like um, chairs mm-hmm. laid out and they're empty. But all of a sudden, like people like come in. But it's not that they walk to their seat. It just kind of like, how do they do it? They like Oh, oh, it's like, a, yeah, like they dissolve in. Mm-hmm. Like they appear from nothing into the chairs. Exactly. Yes, yeah. And that was so cool because it just, it it showed like, how he sees himself mm-hmm. and like all of a sudden when the song ends and then they like fade out yeah, and then yeah. you just see um, Columbia get like so upset behind the spotlight because she just like feels for him so much in that moment because he it completely imagined the whole thing mm-hmm. and yeah. it was so sad but also what I was going to say yes. is um, <laughs> in this episode of Criminal Minds um Oh God! It was one. It was written. It was directed by Matthew Gray Gubler. Uh, for the podcast, I know an embarrassing amount of information about Criminal Minds because oh I had gosh. a year-long phase of it during quarantine. I'm not proud of it, but it happened, and I'd like to admit to it. Moving on. Um, so in the, in this episode, I want to say there's this guy who was a serial killer, um, but he was like a tortured puppeteer. And he had, like, a bunch of stuffed animals in the audience. And they all, like, came to life through his imagination. And he thought he truly was performing in front of this many people. And that's kind of, like, what happened in Rocky Horror. And I think that was based off of it slightly. Also, Tim Curry was a serial killer in Criminal Minds. He Was so, he actually? He was. He played um, a character based off of the Night Stalker in 
oh, I got see, I need to pull up the season. I need to be correct when I give you this information. No worries. I think um, I just want to like add. I guess Criminal Minds writers must have been some Rocky Horror fans. Oh there, yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, and I think another thing I want to say that audience scene. I feel like it's a way, like, holding up a mirror to the people in the audience also watching the movie. Because it's like, mm-hmm. we're, we're seeing how everyone's also feeling. Like, everyone's getting emotional. Like, we've never met these people before. But it's mm-hmm. also, like, how in the audience. I mean, you don't really know anyone who you're next to. But there's, like, this collective feeling of, like, oh, this is so beautiful. Like, I'm getting upset. Like, he's, he's touched us emotionally. And then, like, also in the movie, I think he, like, reaches over and, like, touches the cheek of one of the audience members, I think. It was, I think, mm-hmm. I can't remember. Also, it was season five, episode 23 of Criminal okay, Minds. Okay, cool, cool. <laughs> <laughs> um, but that was, that was Tim Curry's episode. Yeah, mm-hmm. it, was just, it was just so cool to, first of all, to see the parallel between the Criminal Minds episode and the Rocky Horror. Right, And that yeah. to have the comic character of Tim Curry in it. Um, but yeah, that ending scene was just, in, to sum it up, beautiful vulnerable and so necessary to frank's development as mm-hmm. a character yeah go go see the movie just for that scene alone even though there's so much more you should see it for but if you're, if you're gonna see it you're pressuring you no Do seriously it. it's a great it's a great movie just it's a it's a fun time overall and watch it with watch it with friends it's much more fun with other people mm-hmm. um so i want to also touch on like moving on a little bit more to mm-hmm. i guess yeah we, we can do the music first like the music is probably played, I guess, when I say religiously, I use that term often just because people in the cult community of Rocky Horror use that as well because it is like a religion. People go there every Saturday mm-hmm. to, like, go watch the movie. It's like mass, basically, yeah. for Rocky Horror fans. Yeah. Um, uh, my favorite song is Time Warp. Um, absolutely. so good. It is this, like, pop, uh, like, how, how do I say it? Not, not a big band. That's not at all what it is. But uh, we, it's pretty choral. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's actually much better. <laughs> um, <laughs> but oh my god, because it's so good, and it's mm-hmm. it starts off so like weird, yeah. like riffraff singing in like this <laughs> weird little tone, and then we get to Magenta, who's like kind of picking up the energy a little bit, and then the doors swing open, and we see the the convention of the transvest. Uh, no, Transylvania. Yeah, Transylvania. Yes, 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 yeah. And then it's just like. Boom! And then it like explodes into like this big choral masterpiece. And it's so cool. Also, I, I sang yeah. it in seventh grade choir. I did not do it justice personally. Um, I mean, you were continue. Saying, yeah, no. <laughs> seventh grade choir is a liminal space. But <laughs> oh my god! It's a Time warp is fun because there's also a dance to it. It's the name of a dance that they do in the movie, and so. Um, I remember I was watching a live stream of someone who was like watching Rocky Horror. I didn't, I wasn't watching Rocky Horror, but they were watching on a separate monitor, and they actually brought in their girlfriend uh, who who was doing the time work like on her own. She was watching a live stream on the side, and I think it's a it's a beautiful thing how like the time work brings people together just to do this one dance. Like it it really is a movie about not caring. It's just like letting go, having yeah. fun. Um, just being your most authentic self, whatever that may be. Yes, that is the core message of the movie, like being your most authentic mm-hmm. self, whoever the hell that is. You could be a freak, a weirdo, it doesn't matter, but just mm-hmm. be yourself. Yeah. And it, it, this song truly brings people together. Like, I got up and started dancing. I, <laughs> Did I'll, you admit actually? I'll admit it, the time over was good. <laughs> it's, it's a truly, like, 
uh, communal uh, song. And I think that was the point in the movie where I started to like really get into it. Because I didn't know what to expect uh, going into Rocky Horror. I've heard great things about it, but I didn't expect it to be as good as it was. And it kind of, yeah, and it kind of comes back from the lull of over at the Frankenstein place. Because mm-hmm. that's kind of like a, not like a low point in the movie, but it's kind of like, eh, I got a little bored during it. Yeah. I'm not going to lie to yeah. you. But then we come back and it's like time warp. And it's yeah. like, oh yeah, it grabs you back. Yes, yes. Awesome. There's always these like little moments, these quick moments to like bring you back. Mm-hmm. To keep you in. Yes, exactly. So the music is iconic, um, but you, you want to talk about, is it Hop Tootie? Yes. Okay. Let's talk okay. about let's talk about this. You you have the floor on this one. All right. Hoppatootie, sung by Eddie, played by Meatloaf. Uh-huh. Such a good song. One of my favorite from the soundtracks and what I feel is underrated. Really? Okay. Um, I'm not fully in the Rocky Horror community, so I don't know if it's underrated. That's just my uh, <laughs> perception of it, is I feel like this song would be underrated. Right, right. Um, oh my god, it's so good. So it's about uh, Eddie comes out of the deep freeze and he almost serenades Columbia, who's like in love with him. And so background on Eddie's character, he was a delivery boy, right? Yeah, yeah, he actually was. Yeah. He was a delivery boy that came to the Frankenberger Castle. And I I'm kind of confused on the timeline of what happened there. Like it took a couple rewatches to figure out mm-hmm. Eddie, I will admit. But he ends up, he, like, gets into a relationship with, like, Frank or of the sort, if okay. I'm not mistaken. And he ends up getting with Columbia, too, and Columbia's, like, completely in love with him. So cute, by the way. <laughs> Adorable. Um, so this song, Hot Patootie, is like a serenade to her, kind of. Um, and it's just, I don't know, he just sang it so well. Like, the key and, oh, I don't know music at all, so I'm, I don't know, key, chord, tone, note, I don't really know, harmony, whatever. It was just sounded good to my ears. <laughs> so I love the song. And this is a song that I can belt out so loud in the car. <laughs> Hoppatootie, bless my soul. Oh, yeah. Really love that rock and roll. I can yell it. And I do. Yeah, Eddie, Eddie is, you mentioned, like, before the podcast even started, like, he's a small part, but to you, he stole the show. Oh, um, my God, yeah. yeah. I think yeah. it would, I mean, primarily, it's Meatloaf. And I don't, mm-hmm. I don't know how big Meatloaf was at the time. This is, like, 1975. Um, and I think Meatloaf's probably a little bit bigger in the 80s with Bad Out of Hell. But despite that, uh, he was not, like, an actor at the time, but he had this, like, really epic song. And it was the first time he saw Frankenberger kill, too. So, seriously, yeah. this, this is an important scene. This is the first time we see, like, the darker side of Frankenberger and what he does. Mm-hmm. Um, just because, like, I don't know how to say it. Uh, he felt threatened by Eddie because he was stealing Columbia's attention away. That's right. That's right. Yes, that's... And he's, like, this, like, big, burly biker guy mm-hmm. who, like, is, like, going up and down through the lab. With, like, an Elvis pompadour. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he like, the leather jacket on. Like, mm-hmm. he's all decked out. Um, no, I, I, I like Hot Patootie. I didn't pay attention to it as much, but it was important to me, of course, just because, like, we noticed the deep freeze, and you're like, why is there a deep freeze in the lab? What's going on? Yeah. Yeah, so it's and like... it tied up a couple loose ends, mm-hmm. too. But it also opened up a can of worms yes, that I didn't yes. understand. No, it's, it's a musical comedy, and so the musical drives the plot. And so this mm-hmm. is an important song uh, 
especially for that reason, but also because it, it bangs. I, I'll admit it. It's it's, it goes it goes hard. We can talk about, I guess, what's another thing? Oh, going off of Eddie. Okay. Um, the scene where they're surrounded by the, di- they're at the dinner table, um, mm-hmm. and they eat Eddie! That's right, Ew! yes. There is a cannibalistic Ew! scene where... And incest. We'll talk about that after. So, okay, that was, yeah. <laughs> Quick interruption, there is an ancestral relationship in Rocky Horror Picture Show, <laughs> and it is played for laughs, as it should be. It's 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 done in a comedic way. Um <laughs> Between uh, Riff Raff and Magenta. Correct. They do this weird little, like, hand thing where they, like, bring their hands together and they go up, but then they bring them back down. And it's, like, this weird, like, foreplay. It is. No, it's it's this weird, like, like mating ritual, I would mm-hmm. say, between, like, the residents of Transylvania. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, yeah, yeah. it's... It's incestual. And it's not revealed that they're siblings no. until the very end. So it's like, <laughs> once you hear that, you're like, oh, shit. Yeah. What did I just watch? <laughs> yeah, not a lot of plot is actually truly revealed until the very end of the film. Because, yeah. like, we don't really know that they're aliens. It's, like, hinted at, but, like, not until the very end. Same thing with Magenta and Riff Raff. Or, sorry. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, Magenta and Riff Raff relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, and, by the way, just Magenta and Riff Raff, like, every other side character in this movie besides Brad, Jane, and Frankenfurter, they're all, like, working for Frankenfurter, basically. Yeah. Or they're just residents of Transylvania. So mm-hmm. they're, they're important, but only, like, for the bits that they do on the side. They don't drive the plot as much. Until the finale, when, again, Rick Rath and Magenta are revealed to be brother and sister and try to kill Frankenfurter, mm-hmm. and ultimately do. Yeah, because they're like, I, when I said we were going back to Transylvania, I referred to Magenta, only Magenta and myself. And he has a British yeah. accent, so he says Magenta. 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 Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm good. I'll, I'll pass. <laughs> uh, and it was like, oh shit they're gonna kill frank and they do it's okay i want to quickly talk about like how it's it's popular more in media because you said about criminal minds right yes okay so i do know that in the movie perks of being a wallflower yes there is an entire scene dedicated to the gang i would say just going to see rocky horror Mm-hmm. They, they did Rocky Horror at a theater. Mm-hmm. And do you want to talk about that at all? Or like... Okay, I love Perks of Being a Wallflower. It's okay. so well done. Because so an important well part of Rocky is its legacy more than anything. Yeah, and so if you haven't seen Perks of Being a Wallflower, the fuck are you doing? Get it together and watch it. <laughs> uh, continuing on. Um, the central character, Charlie, is kind of like, he's very much like an outsider. Mm-hmm. He has, you know, a lot of anxiety a lot of depression a lot of just he struggles with his mental health Mm -hmm. um and when they go to rocky horde this is like the one place that he truly like cracks out of his shell Mm -hmm. and it really shows the cultural significance and of rocky horde and what it does for people who maybe don't how do i say this maybe don't feel like they're like they belong yeah no absolutely yeah and it just it really, like I said, he really like comes out of his shell and feels comfortable with those around him when they go to the showing. And also, <clears throat> the jock character, forgot his name. Do you remember his name? Nope. <laughs> okay. Uh, Johnny? Sure. We'll call okay. Johnny. Johnny. Um, uh, he's like this jock who's kind of an asshole, but he's in like a secret relationship with um, Patrick. Okay. Um, and we see him also do Rocky Horror. And it's funny because, like, you would never imagine, like, a jock 
yeah. doing Rocky Horror and like getting into it and singing and acting, but he does. And it's funny too because he comes out of his shell and he's, if I'm not mistaken, he's affectionate with Patrick in public there, hmm. which is a complete, he is closeted. Right. Um, so he's very much not, he almost like doesn't, he pretends Patrick doesn't exist like in school and everything, but then they go to Rocky Horror and it's like, oh, they're together, so cute. Yeah. He comes out of his shell too. Yeah, which, which is still abusive. It's not right. Oh, no, no, we're not condoning this. Yeah, no. But uh, yeah, it just kind of shows like the legacy of Rocky Horror, how it's, it's not discussed for like its thematic significance, but like its cultural significance overall. So mm-hmm. it's, it's important because... Uh, not a lot of LGBT people actually had a space, like, in the 70s. Most people were ousted, harassed, um, and even, like, assaulted and abused. Mm-hmm. And so Rocky Horror, actually, at the time, it just, like, as a movie, wasn't known to people as um, being this, like, safe space for queer people. Mm-hmm. So it's important in that instance. And from there, it gained a cult following, especially with the LGBTQ community, um, but also just for the weirdos as demonstrated in Pursuing a Wallflower. So it's a movie for like everyone who doesn't feel like they fit inside the norm. And yeah. I think that's what's so special about it. Like, um, I mean, anyone can really get into it if they just like let go of what they're do- they've been doing beforehand and like dedicate themselves to like a two-hour movie. Um, mm-hmm. And people do it. I think the president of the Rocky Horror Fan Club, like 50 years later, is still there. And he sees it every single Saturday. He's seen it thousands upon thousands of times. And it's like truly like revolutionary. Um, shows his dedication. And I mean, it, it's, it's, it's beautiful. I think the reason why I definitely wanted to cover this movie is because the sense of community that has developed from this just one film that didn't even make it a week into movie theaters is mm-hmm. so special. And Absolutely. like 50 years later, it's still oh prevalent. And it still is on Hulu every year around Halloween. It's it's has this incredibly strong impact. And it's just absolutely beautiful. But mm-hmm. do you want to talk about anything else? Okay, we talked about the incest. We did talk about the incest. That is still very weird. And I didn't come prepared with like <laughs> reasons why that was included. But again, it was comedic and it was fun. Mm-hmm. And they were idiots so who cares? <laughs> portrays it badly which is how it should be done so Ooh, let's talk about um eddie and how the nuance of what happened to him okay because yeah. so eddie was killed by frankenfurter but we don't really at that point in the film we didn't really know like who eddie was mm-hmm. what he what his purpose was what he did to the plot as a, it was just kind of like oh okay what is happening right now <laughs> um but then, as the movie progresses, we see that he's Dr. Everett Scott's nephew, and he's the rival scientist to Frank. And he's like, it's revealed that Dr. Scott, or I think, did he come over because he was wondering about Eddie? Uh, you know what? I think so. I yeah. think he did, yeah. Because yeah, no one called him. No, 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 no. Um, and he came over to the castle because he was wondering what was, ha- what, like, happened to Eddie um and he says he got this letter from Eddie first of all written in red which I assume is blood yes and um what do he say he says um oh no 
I'm out of my head, oh, help me, or I may be dead. Something like that. Oh, and it's yeah. like, he's out of his head, what? And then there's like this quick little line in the movie where I missed it the first couple times I saw it, where it's revealed that um, Frank split Eddie's brain to give half, to keep half with Eddie and then to give half to Rocky. Oh my gosh, that's to, right. Yeah. That's right. To make Rocky. And then you can see this gash that's on Eddie's head when he comes out of the deep freeze. Mm-hmm. And so it's kind of revealed like, oh, that gash is because he's missing half of his noggin because mm-hmm. it's in Rocky. And it also shows how, like Columbia said, Rocky, like, or not Rocky, Frank, like, chews people up and spits them out. Like, just kind of uses them. Yeah, yeah. And then also when, oh, God, this was so gross, the cannibalism scene. Right. Good Lord. The, the famed dinner scene. Oh, so Brad, Janet, Everett's Dr. Scott, um, Columbia, Frank, and Magenta and Riff Raff. Yeah, the, all, the whole cast, basically. Yeah, yeah, the whole cast, minus, like, the criminologist, mm-hmm. are sitting around a dinner table, um, like, the last supper. Yeah, uh, like, mm, true. Yeah. Um, and Magenta and Riff Raff are kind of like the servers, because they're like the servants to Frank. Right. Um, and there's a lot of, like, animosity between the characters in this film, or in this scene, because it's, like, after Brad and Janet had their affairs, but they don't really know, mm-hmm. and it's just kind of a lot of, a lot of tension. Um, and then they start eating this what looks like turkey right. or like chicken or as, something. As Dr. Frankenfurter's carving it up with a carving knife. <laughs> Which is so funny when he's like shushing people yep. with the knife. <laughs> um, and then it's revealed after uh, Dr. Scott's like, I'm looking for Eddie. Like, have you seen him? And then everyone's like, oh, shit. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's revealed that they were eating Eddie. But it's kind of revealed in like a subtle way until... Frank pulls back the dining the cloth on the table and Eddie's corpse is under the table. It's like, holy shit, what just happened? This is one of the craziest movies I've ever seen. Yeah, I mean, from what we've talked about, like, it's so... It seems tame, honestly. It really does. It seems like not that significant in comparison to the rest of the film, which is wild to say. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, Like, it it was like a little scene. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It, it was barely anything, but mm-hmm. again, adds more to Frankenfurter's and psychotic character. <laughs> yeah, but it's like, oh my god, they they ate Eddie. <laughs> Ew. Yeah. I think if we were to talk about like one last thing, which so we yeah. surprisingly haven't touched on, but I think is also reminiscent of Rocky Horror fans. Mm-hmm. We haven't talked that much about Rocky. Yeah. Yeah. How do you think Mary Shelley would react if she rose from the grave and watched Rocky Horror? She'd love it. <laughs> She loves it. She have a party. She's like, this, this is truly art. Absolutely. Um, I want to quickly just talk about Rocky because he doesn't say a lot. He barely has any lines in the movie. He's just basically a boy toy for Frankenfurter. <laughs> he is Dr. Frankenfurter's creation in his lab, which uh, it's like there's this rainbow streak across the machine as Rocky is being created. And he's, like, literally a child, in a sense. Like, a child's brain. Yeah. Uh, like, being born, uh, like, 20 minutes after and immediately he's wanting to have sex with Rocky. But, yeah. or sorry, uh, Dr. Frankenfurter. But he's also a full adult man. So... He's jacked as shit. He is literally a Hercules. He is insane, like, blonde hair. I think he's got blue eyes. Yeah, like... Aryan-looking. Literally, like, Aryan. And... Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I just think, like, Rocky, despite the whole movie's name being dedicated to him, 
Uh, he's not of the utmost importance, except for in the end when he does eventually save Dr. Frankenfurter. And it's like, yeah. a be- it's a beautiful, lovely scene. Um, mm-hmm. Um, cause he's also like invincible to the antimatter ray. So it's like yeah. showing like he's just like almost Hulk in a sense. It's mm-hmm. kind of cool. Um, also I want to talk about like the opening scene, the red lips, um, like singing. That's, oh my like, God. really pretty. So, so cool. That was Richard O'Brien singing, but it was, okay. um, Patricia okay. Quinn who plays Magenta that it was her lips. Oh, okay. I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. I did not know that. That is so useful to know now. Yeah. So originally, if I'm not mistaken, she was going to sing it. And I, I think they had recorded it with her, but in the final cut, it, they just used her lips, and she was lip syncing Richard O'Brien. Okay, I that's really cool. I it, it the dubbing felt off. I felt like there was something wrong with it, but I couldn't like piece it together. Yeah. Also, it's it, it's um. I mean, I think anyone has seen a picture of like red lips on a black background and immediately know like that's Rocky Horror. Yeah. It's a very famous image. Yeah. Um, despite it being like a it's iconic. film. It is iconic. It really yeah. is. Almost everything about this movie you might have seen before in some other form of media. Yeah. Um, this movie has influenced uh, anything you can think of. Uh, we talked about Perks. Um, we talked about Criminal Minds. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's also like influencing Glee. Like there's a whole. Yes, let's talk Glee. about Glee. We can talk about Glee a little bit. We'll talk about Glee a little bit. Uh, you can go ahead, honestly. Oh my you, god, you they did a Rocky Horror episode. Right. In Glee, and it the part where um, Emma um, Pillsbury um, is with uh, Schuster, and there she's singing um, "Touch Me." <laughs> oh, it was disgusting. Sorry, because. Just Will Schuster's character was just a clusterfuck of... <laughs> but, yeah, that scene was so grossly cringy. Anyway, um, what I wanted to say going off of the lips is um, there is this poster of the movie. Um, first of all, I have two Rocky Horror posters in my dorm room currently, so I just wanted to add that out there. Um, to add to my credibility, I'm not just blowing smoke up your ass. I know what I'm talking about. No, I'm just kidding. Um... <laughs> There's a poster of for the movie, and it's Frank sitting, or is it Frank sitting on the lips? Or it's just the lips, and it says, you know, Rocky Horror Picture Show, and then at the bottom it says, a different set of jaws. And okay. the reason it says that is because the poster designer of who made that poster was the same one who did the Jaws poster. No way. I didn't, yeah. I, that I did not know. That's, yeah. really, that's really cool. Dude, I learned this, like, two months ago and I was like oh my god this is so cool <laughs> um so the poster designer did both Rocky Horror and Jaws so when he was making he did like a, a subtle little hint to his previous work in the Rocky Horror poster by saying it's a different set of Jaws and it's funny too because it's like a set of lips yeah no, it's like Jaws and then really Jaws cool. I, I see I, I like these kinds of facts it's like really cool to know these like really Things. Mm-hmm. I saw that in a YouTube video somewhere. I cannot remember who made it, or else I would cry. <laughs> no, but, no worries. Oh my god, I hope I don't think I have a picture of a poster. Dang it! But it's I love it. It's hanging up right now. Mm-hmm. So lovely. But like, yeah, I mean, Glee did Rocky Horror too, mm-hmm. and I just think uh, if you really. Uh, if, if you watch it one time, you, you will be able to spot so many different people's um, interpretations mm-hmm. and references to the movie. Uh, I think almost every actor has seen it at this point. Like, you kind of have to. It's a rite of passage. Every yeah. single, like, screenwriter, filmmaker of any variety has seen it because it 
almost everything is Rocky Horror. Yeah. If you, if you break it down, almost everything is Rocky Horror. So I think that's really special. And is there anything else you wanted to talk about or like... I mean, I think that's it. If okay. you haven't watched it, go watch it because you're please, being a lame-o and that's not do. cool. Yeah, no, only cool kids watch Rocky Horror. Yeah. Which is also the antithesis. But Yeah, and also only cool kids know as much useless knowledge as I do about it, so... Hey, I mean, I'm just saying, all the Rocky Horror fans make like a pretty cool crowd. So, if you haven't by now, please go watch the Rocky Horror Picture Show. You can find it, like, at your local video store if you still have those. Um, do they exist? We, we do, up here in Seattle. Okay. We, yeah. Um, <laughs> it's also currently on Hulu, and I think it will be for the month of October. Right. And I think Amazon Prime, too. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, Amazon Prime, Hulu, basically anywhere you get your movies, you can probably find Rocky Horror Picture Show. But, yeah, this was the UW Film Club podcast. I'm Drew Favors again, and thank you so much, Zoe, for joining me for talking about this amazing movie that I'm so glad I got to see. I really appreciate it. Thank you for letting me rant about this for an hour. Um, this has been the highlight of my life, and I can check off doing a podcast for my bucket list. Oh, that's so sweet. <laughs> but yeah, thank you all so much for listening, and uh, stay on the lookout for more podcasts to come. But again, thank you so much.